0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to First Lady and Friends. I'm Utah's First Lady, Abby Cox, and this is Episode 5. Today's episode is one I know you will love. I was able to sit down with Utah's favorite doctor, state epidemiologist, Dr. Angela Dunn. Before the pandemic, most of us didn't know her. And what an epidemiologist even does— But now she's become a household name. We talked about education. We talked about her work in Africa on Ebola. And we talked about her amazing family. And then we got to talk to the friends about it, which was a really good time. I think you're going to really enjoy this deep dive with one of the most remarkable women. All right, let's get proximate. Welcome to First Lady and Friends, uh, Episode 5. We are thrilled. Like, I am giddy excited about our guests today. (laughs) We've had a really fun time just kind of chatting it up right here before we get started, but... Today in studio, we have Dr. Angela Dunn, um, our state epidemiologist. And now everybody, it feels like they're an epidemiologist True. <laughs> after the last year, right? Like, we're all experts. But we are so excited to have you
2: here. Yeah, thank you so much. This is going to be fun.
1: This will be great. Um, and I want people to get to know you. Um, we've met a, a few times now, and this is, I've just just we have connected we're Absolutely. we're best friends now so uh-huh. this will be fun <laughs> so see, you're you're not originally from utah Mm-mm. so tell me a little bit about where you grew up and oh, a sure. little, little background
2: yeah so i grew up moving around a lot i mean i had eight different houses by the time I was in second grade. Um, everyone always assumes I'm an army brat because I moved between Texas and Alaska and Chicago, but I actually uh, was an oil business brat. Uh, my dad worked in the oil fields of West Texas where I was born and wow. climbed the corporate ladder, but we were moving all the time. Um, so I don't really have a hometown. It's just wherever I live. Um, from there, uh, made my way to the Northeast for college and down to Miami after I got sick of the Northeast cold for for med school, Um, but had never lived in the Mountain West, didn't ski as part of my family vacations, Um, hadn't ever really been in this part of the U.S., had really been on the coasts mostly. Um, So when the opportunity came came up to be in Utah, my husband and I saw it as an adventure. We thought we'd be here for a couple of years, and here we are seven years later, no plans to leave.
1: I love it. Okay, so be honest. Because we hear this from people, but be honest, like if you, when you said, okay, Utah, what was your first reaction? I mean, sometimes people are like, ooh, I've heard of the outdoors, but sometimes, I don't know about that.
2: So honestly, like, I didn't know anything about the Mormon culture, so I didn't even know Utah was known <laughs> so you for that. I didn't know what to be worried about. Had no <laughs> idea. Um, and we hadn't experienced this type of outdoors. So really, uh, we were in San Diego at the time trying to figure out where to move. And it was as close to the West. We knew we didn't want to go back East. And we were like, well, we want to stay in the West, so let's try it out. Um, so really had no idea what to expect. Um, and that sounded like a lot of fun for both of us. So. Oh, good. I love that. Yeah.
1: What, what a sense of adventure. Yeah. So fun. Um, so you've stayed here. What What's
2: kept you here? Gosh, it is such a high quality of life. Um, and I also think there's like a different place for every time in your life. So I don't know that Salt Lake City would have been right for me when I was 21. Right. But right now, I mean, my husband and I both have young kids. We both love our careers that we've built here. We love our community. Um, it has been so easy to make friends and the fact that I can drop off both kids and get to work in 20 minutes, um, that's huge. So it's People fun. <laughs> outside
1: of Utah don't realize that. We lived in Virginia, and I remember we had a lot of friends that have lived in D.C., and it's like they think we're crazy for – you know, Spencer commuted for seven and a half years as lieutenant governor, 200 miles round trip, and they think that's nuts. But really it's like as far as the time, an hour and a half – Like that's not a crazy commute for like somebody in D.C., California, New York, wherever. So
2: when we were in San Diego, my oldest was two years old. And it took me forty five minutes just to get him to daycare, oh and then gosh. another forty five minutes to get to work from there. So wow, See, this is there's a sh- your hour yes, and a half, exactly. <laughs> and and that's stressful driving in that traffic. So yeah. the quality of life here is awesome. I it love it. Really
1: is. We yeah. we love it too. So tell me, so your your family, your family of origin is. You moved around a lot from yeah. Texas and stuff. Do
2: you have siblings? Um, yeah. So I'm the oldest, surprise, surprise, (laughs) type A personality, pretty bossy. Um, uh, I have a brother who um, is... In his mid thirties, he lives in Seattle. He works in finance, and then a younger sister who's uh, thirty, and she is an engineer and lives in Boise. So we've all made our way so out west.
1: Super underachievers, sounds like. <laughs> so I know. Great. You
2: know, we <laughs> we haven't found that black sheep in our family yet, but I feel like every family has one. So I, it's just it's just a matter yeah, of time before one of us totally goes a, off the
1: rails. Somebody takes a nose dive. <laughs> yes, I love it. So you did your you said you did your undergrad. Did I read in at Brown? Yeah. Very cool. So tell us about Brown. Tell us about your undergrad. Sure. So
2: um, for high school, I went to an all-girl Catholic high school in Houston, oh. Texas. So um, relatively conservative. Um, nobody knew why I wanted to leave Texas for college. I mean, I, I went to a good <laughs> to high school. find some guys. <laughs> all of my friends stayed in Texas, right? And it's like, wow. why isn't Rice University good enough for you? I mean, it was a big deal for me to leave Um but of course, I just I asked my parents to send me to boarding school in high school. I was just like done really? with um, where I was living at the moment. I like change. Uh, so crazy. And my mom refused to send me to boarding school. So I, <laughs> I went to Brown for undergrad. Um, I played volleyball there. So um was recruited and went to a lot of different recruiting trips, but um, ultimately just loved the um, free and innovative spirit of Brown. Um, okay. But it was a one eighty from an all-girl Catholic high school. I mean, it is a really, really liberal school, um, and so I love that I got to experience that too. I think it really helps shape kind of how I view the world with all those different experiences.
1: I love that. I love that we're all about getting proximate to somebody that's different or an ex- yeah. different experience. I love that so much. So volleyball. I have to say, like, I love. <laughs> I found that out just recently that you that you were a collegiate volleyball player, which is so. I come from a family of ten kids, eight girls. So my dad wanted a football team, and he got eight girls, and so we played basketball, we played volleyball. So awesome. I love that you played volleyball. That was so fun. We, yeah, I got. I had full disclosure. I got cut from my sophomore volleyball team. Aww. So, and it wasn't like a you know a Michael Jordan type thing where I came back
2: stronger. <laughs> so I shouldn't it was, invite I you. Just got cut. I won't invite you to join our beach volleyball team. That word. No, I was gonna forming. say okay. like
1: we I. So my sisters and I still, well, and I obviously COVID has, my, they're starting up again and I'm too crazy busy yeah. right now. But my, we have like this group of just moms and the kids, they, they bring all their little kids and I don't have any little kids. So I'm like the old lady there <laughs> and like, they all play on the one side of the gym and we play volleyball on the other side of the gym. And it's just fun. It's I think that's one of those sports that you can just really kind of play forever. Yeah. I mean, fun. you don't think of it as sort of a lifetime sport, but it kind of is.
2: I love Don't it. And, think? and I found a good group of people here to play with. And I'm definitely the old lady there. I mean, they're all in their twenties. It is nuts. Um, but it is so fun to have that like sense of team camaraderie again. I mean, I definitely get a little competitive. So I have a reputation, <laughs> but, um, but it's still fun. So, and you're outside hitter. Um, so I was I was right side in college. Um, okay. So I was the blocker uh, for cool. the other outside hitter. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And yeah. you're you're quite tall, so that
1: that works <laughs> out <true>. well.
2: <laughs> well, compared. So I didn't realize I was tall. So I'm five ten and three fourths, and I didn't realize I was tall until I got to med school because. In college, all of my friends played volleyball, right? Yeah, so you're, you're hanging them around, them. Right? <laughs> and my husband rode in college, and they're all six five and above. So my entire social circle was taller than me. And then I get to med school, and I'm like taller than all the men and women. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize I was so I'm different. Tall. Yes, but it our, it was funny at our wedding. My husband and I got married when we were in our mid twenties, and. His whole wedding party was rowers and mine was all volleyball players and no one in the back of the church could see, <laughs> could see. because they were just standing up front. <laughs> this whole giant row.
1: That's true. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Um so, so you went to you went to Brown, you played volleyball, and then you decide like what made you decide medical school? I mean, like obviously I, I think I read that your mom was a nurse. Yeah.
2: My mom was so definitely there, a nurse. So
1: there was there was some medical background there. There
2: was. Um, so I, in college, actually majored in international relations, um, political economy and development. Um, and So not usually the medical no, path. <laughs> and I um, didn't think about going to med school or taking any sciences until my junior year. So I started kind of taking the biology and chemistry and, and liked it and, and kept going. So I actually didn't do pre-med until after I graduated. Um, So I went down to Miami because I was sick of the Northeast. um, And at that point in my life, Miami sounded like paradise. (laughs) Like, I want to go to palm trees and blue water. At any time in your life, that sounds (laughs) fabulous, That's (laughs) true. Um, And so I did all my pre-med requirements in Miami after I graduated. um, And it was just one of those things that I didn't quit. Like, it Mm. kept... It was never a conscious decision. It was like this kept feeling good and mm. and interesting, so I just kept doing it. Um, and then here we are. <laughs>
1: wow, wow. And so then, so you, so then you applied to med schools, and you said, yep. "Well, I'm just going to stay here." Or well, you went there thinking, "This is where I'm going to go."
2: No. So, um, so after three years um, of doing pre-med requirements, I applied to medical school and applied oh, okay. to a bunch of places. Um, my. Then fiancé at the time is from Miami. um, And we just decided to stay. It was good for both of us for me to do med school there. And we loved it. And after four years there, we were ready to move on. So, yeah. I love that. Well, um, just one last question on this.
1: Like, who inspired you to – I mean, who inspired you to – I think always we have mentors. But who was sort of your inspiration for that?
2: So – My mom, so when I was a senior and I was trying to figure out what to do, right? Do I take a job? Do I do my pre-med requirements? I don't know what to do. I have this very memorable conversation with my mom. So I was in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, It was summer and so hot. Like the kind of sticky hot that when you're trying to write a paper, the paper sticks to your arm because you're so sweaty. (laughs) I just remember it so vividly. But anyway, my mom was on the phone and she was like, Angela, you just need to do what excites you. Mm. If it doesn't excite you, what's the point? And that kind of carried me forward. Like, we should all do what excites us. I mean, that that. is our choice and our ability to really have that kind of um, inspiration and passion in our lives. Um, And that's really what propelled me forward. And I think, um, you know, as I started applying to medical schools, you have to write a personal statement about why you want to go. And from the beginning, I wanted to get into public health. Um, I knew that I wanted to use my clinical background to help big populations. Mm. Um, And that definitely comes from my mom as well. I mean, like you said, she's a nurse or she was a nurse. um, And she focused on um, serving homebound seniors, um, specifically the Medicaid and Medicare population. And it was always she always instilled us instilled in us that um, responsibility to use our privilege to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. we didn't earn our privilege, yeah. uh, it was definitely given to me. And how can you use that to make the world a better place? And, and that's, that's definitely what set me on this path. I love that so much. Hey, we will be right back with Dr. Angela Dunn. A stranger with a gun came upon
1: two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. We are back with Dr. Angela Dunn, our state epidemiologist, and uh, we are just getting to know her. This is so much fun. Thank you for being here again. Um, let me just ask you this. We Let's dive into COVID, because I'm sure, you know, it's been a while since somebody asked you about COVID, <laughs> I know it has been, you know, like it's a discussion we're not having. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but, but, so, but honestly, I think all of us there there's literally nobody on this planet i don't think that that covid has not affected in yeah. some way or another which is totally crazy so we're all going through this together but particularly like what was for you maybe
2: you and your family what was the most difficult part of last year um several um so i would say for me personally was the moment that we were getting our expo center ready to take patients mm. um I have colleagues and friends that work in the ICUs here, and I saw it as my responsibility to protect them. Yeah. Um, and our hospitals were filling up, and they couldn't care for patients the way they've been taught to and the way they want to. Um, and I felt like I had failed them all. Wow. Um, it was really, really hard. Really yeah. hard to feel like I wasn't able to make a difference and mm. influence the right interventions that need to be put in place to solve that. Um, definitely for my family, getting our, um, address and phone (laughs) number and email addresses put out there was hard. I mean, my husband's personal phone number was out there and he was getting calls all the time. Oh my gosh. Um, but, but that actually brought about a lot of good. I mean, our, there's just way more good than bad out there. I mean, it's like a vocal minority of people that wish harm on, on, on any public servant. And that was super clear, but that still didn't take away that fear of, um, Oh my God, someone doesn't like me. They know where I live and they're threatening my family. Um, that's really nerve wracking and it kind of makes you think twice about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and, and, of course, sheltering our kids from that. We didn't want them to know that that was going on. So, you know, when protests are scheduled at, like, 7 p.m., which is just such a great time for a four-year-old anyway, you're like, let's go to the park, <laughs> you know? Um, so you're avoiding, like, them understanding people are at your house that don't like you, but also um, trying to not have a temper tantrum at 7 p.m. <laughs> at night in the middle of a park on, like, a random Tuesday. Oh so that was hard gosh. for our family, but um, we moved through that. I think... Um, um, I you know and then professionally it's been it's been challenging um to try to meet people where they're at in terms of, you know, the policymakers. I realize who I'm talking to. <laughs> um, so, but, be as open and free <laughs> as you want. <laughs> but um, but no, but seriously, it's like, a, it's like a whole new world. You know, um, that, that close interaction between um, myself and science and public health with the legislature and with the governor's office was new to everybody. You know, yeah. we hadn't had that one-on-one relationship before. And now all of a sudden everyone has an opinion about how you should be doing it. Right. Um and, and trying to meet people where they're at um while still protecting people's health was really, really challenging.
1: Yeah, I I just can't even imagine that because, you know, there's you have the spectrum of people like I said, people that literally yeah. don't even think covid is happening to the you know to the we're yep. never going out of our house ever again yes. types and yes. so there's this whole and then you have legislators who are representing all of yeah. those groups that are trying to figure some of this out and it's tough but we had we also had you know obviously when we sign up for to be um politicians or if you run for office i mean that's part of the territory, but. You know, as far as protesters or people that
2: are angry sure. with you, but you did not <laughs> no sign up for that. <laughs> no, and that's intentional. Yes, yes I am exactly. not interested in being an elected official. Yes. I think that's way too hard of a job. So all the respect <laughs> out there to all the elected officials. And that is honest to God truth. I think it is such a hard profession. Um I mine is relatively easy because I get to just <laughs> say so. what I think. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and from my only my personal opinion and expertise, I don't have to represent a whole constituency. Um, right. So so that's intentional. So it is. But like I said, um, <clears throat> way more good than bad out there. Yeah. Um, and and that's been really encouraging. And back to our original conversation, why Utah so great. I mean, yeah we come together for the most part and move forward
1: i agree and and and, like you said it's it's a vocal minority yeah. and and sometimes it's they they it it feels big in the moment you know when we had we had protesters in our home in Fairview, yeah. so usually that's our little isolated place away from people, and they came to our home, and my kids were listening to them scream through a bullhorn you know my and you know, I have teenagers i I can't very well shell them
2: distract them with a pizza the park in a was park not in the cars
1: for us but um you know i just they you know people need a place to to vent sure. or whatever but it you know it works but but i agree i think there's there's um there's a, there were a lot of silver, silver linings but let me ask you this like how did you protect or sort of maintain your your mental health during all this <laughs>
2: You should ask that to my husband because he would be like, "She didn't. <laughs> she did it. I and was she's gonna not." Say. <laughs> um, I mean, really, a supportive husband. I mean, honestly, like I, he is my rock, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I just keep waking up and doing it. I, um, and I don't know if that means I'm crazier <laughs> because I keep doing it. Um, so I mean, I could say the cliche things of like I try to find alone time and go for runs, but yeah. Honestly, no matter what, it has been a roller coaster filled definitely with days of depression yeah. um, and days of hope. And right now, the days of hope are way more. So it I makes all of those days of depression worth it. Um, but it has been a real struggle um, yeah. on the mental health side.
1: Well, and I think for, again, we, we sort of have gone through this collective trauma. Yeah, And I think, you know, people process it in different ways. Again, you know, maybe you process it by... Protesting at someone's house sure. that you're angry with, totally get it. Maybe somebody else processes it in in a different way. I mean, not that I think that's okay, but no, but I agree. But yeah. I think that's I think there was this collective sense of 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 not being able to do anything about it. Uh, absolutely, and and I think that's where so many people were so frustrated. And I remember, you know, and I know you had even more of this, but I th- those first few weeks and months. Um, i've and spencer has said this to to a few people but it was the most difficult time for him personally since his parents were divorced and that was his major you know ace trauma but like i think and i just and i guess for me it was like i just wanted to scream that to people like i promise he's not trying to kill you or your job like he is this is such a burden i know you've felt it was just this burden of how how do we make our way through this this is not a playbook that anybody has written for us (laughs) and and we're doing this now together anyway so and a lot of grace I, i know with my my daughter at one point so upset because she was quarantined for a few weeks, and and the school wasn't real great with like online uh, it was sort of remote learning at the middle school, and so it was like I remember she was like just upset and tears, and I can't get this, I don't know how to do this math, and you know my teacher can't explain it to me, and I just said to her, I said, honey we are just going to give ourselves some grace. Yes. If we don't get straight A's or whatever it
2: is this this quarter, we are just going to be okay with it. Yep. I had to tell my husband that. He's much more strict on the schooling front. And my kid goes to um, a music school. And so he was like, you have to do violin and you have to do your <laughs> choir and your math and your spelling. And I was like, it's okay. He can just yeah. choose one of those things to do today. <laughs> like, today, we
1: are we're just. we good.
2: <laughs> just,
1: yes. It's whatever we can get yes. done today. So, so you said there were some things that, that, you know, some good, such goodness. What were some of the most surprising things that you learned this year? Um,
2: that's a really good question. I think the most surprising thing I learned is, um, how, and I'm going to go back to kind of how supportive our whole Utah population is. Mm-hmm. I mean, when um, my address got out there, yes, I had protesters, but I also had people sending me cards and flowers and um, notes of thank you. Um, and that outpouring of support keeps you going. And yeah. it wasn't just me. So I was a symbol for public health. right? Um, and so that was to all of Utah public health. and And I guarantee you that is why not one person on our team has quit this year. Everybody who started this is still with us today and getting through this. And it's because we know that the people out there care and they believe in the work we're doing, even if there is a vocal minority. Um, I think the other good thing is um, there are people in policymaking positions that are willing to speak up and Mm -hmm. willing to say, this is crazy. What are you guys doing? (laughs) Um, Which is so... I want to say almost comforting, but also empowering for the people who work for that elected official. Um, mm. And and your husband is right up there. And I'm not trying to like pander, but <laughs> honestly, like knowing that the highest level of leadership has your back yeah. um, has been such a fantastic way to go into 2021. Yeah, I
1: agree. And and also for on my perspective, like I have such. I think we all look at our teachers and we all look at our healthcare professionals
2: and say, we have taken you for granted. (laughs) I mean, 100%. I mean, I can't, you know, when there was all these controversies about, you know, the teachers getting vaccinated or not wanting to go to school, I'm like, I can't imagine having to walk into a classroom every day, scared to death that I might get COVID. Who cares how low the risk is in reality, but just that stress every day and trying to keep the kids safe. Yeah. I just... I agree with you um, Total little heroes like a hundred percent and they yeah. did it and they continue to do it um, and now and definitely safer environment which is fantastic yep. but um, yeah may we never take those individuals for granted again
1: absolutely I agree we will be right back with Dr. Angela Dunn we are back with Dr. Angela Dunn and we are having such a great conversation um let me let me just and maybe maybe you haven't gotten there yet. But um, what does an epidemiologist do when you're not in a global pandemic? <laughs> I think somebody would be curious to know.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. Life pre-COVID was full of a variety of things, which is why I love my job Um So we might remember something called the opioid epidemic, which is actually still going on. That was a big, big part of my job. Um, In addition to things like, I don't know if everybody remembers E-Valley, but we had the vaping outbreak of lungs going on right before COVID. Um, So dealing with definitely outbreaks. um, But a lot of the focus was placed on um, preventable deaths and morbidity, um, things like suicide, overdoses, and then the kind of more mundane things like heart disease and diabetes. (laughs) Um, So um, my job is to develop strategies and interventions to address the biggest health needs of the Utah population, whatever it is at that moment. Um, So pre-COVID, the opioid epidemic, and then heart disease and diabetes were at the top of my list.
1: Did you see, and maybe you don't don't have the data, but did you see some of that stuff getting worse or better? better during Gosh. covid
2: you know time is or maybe tell. you weren't paying attention right? because you were so no, busy and with everything what's else. so scary is kind of once we come out of this um you know covid tunnel what is waiting for us at the end yeah um we definitely have great public health professionals that have been able to dedicate their time to these other issues but a lot of them were pulled on to covid um mm-hmm. Opioids in particular, you know, nationally, they saw an increase in overdose. Mm-hmm. We actually haven't seen that in Utah. So that's fantastic. Okay. But again, who knows what's waiting for us on the other side. Um, so something we're all anticipating, um, you know, having to divert our attention to something else after this.
1: Yeah. And that's an interesting We – I've been having some conversations with educators. And it was – we're looking at um, really pulling together and figuring out, you know, just a little sneak peek of an initiative that that I'm doing um, as a first lady, but talking about social and emotional learning. And it was interesting because we were talking to teachers and we went into this conversation with like, okay, how are we going to get our kids? How are we going to really put, make sure that SEL is part of, of real, or just, you know, it yeah. is part of our curriculum. It's, you know, what, what are we doing? How do we help facilitate that? It was a discussion we were having. And we had this really incredible discussion with, our, with some educators and they, they, it went in a whole different direction it was basically like look we've got to figure out our own emotional intelligence right <laughs> Gosh, now because so true. we have been through hell this year yep and it was really an interesting thought and really kind of changed the direction of what we were what we're looking at doing because we thought We've got to take care of our teachers first, absolutely. Before the anyway, so like you say, what's on the other side of this? Yeah, that's part of it for sure. Maybe you know a lot, <laughs> a lot of hard conversations and work around mental health and and some of these other issues, which is going to be crazy. But I know you spent some time in Africa, which I am so excited to hear about because um, and you were part of that in the 2014 Ebola crisis. You were you were working in Sierra Leone. Yep. So. Um, just a little background. My grandparents uh, served uh, LDS missions in both Liberia and Nigeria back wow. in 19, in like the early, mid 80s, mid to, to late 80s. Amazing. And so I have this, they were in so Sierra Leone. So I have Leon. to tell you a
2: story then. They yes. might be responsible for the very first person I met in Sierra Leone. Oh, no kidding. So you land in Freetown and you have to take a boat. Um, from the airport to to cross the water to get to your hotel, and on the dock there's all these people selling like SIM cards, right? Yeah. Um, and one Sierra Leonean was selling a SIM card, and he's like, "Hey, hey, do you want to? Listen? Where are you from? Where are you from?" I said, "Oh, I'm from the United States." He's like, "Yeah, but what state?" I said Utah, and he's like, Utah. Are you part of the LDS Church? I was like, No, No. and he's like, I am. Oh, the very first person I met, and I was like, Amazing! Oh my gosh! So maybe that's due to your grandparents. It (laughs) could well be. It could well be. They were so
1: they were the they were the very they were some of the first missionaries in Nigeria. That was their first mission, and then they asked them to go back and open Liberia, which also included Sierra Leone and, and those areas. Ghana and and so they they were the first missionaries wow um LDS so missionaries. then in part they
2: definitely were yeah fascinating so Small there, world. so I know so <laughs> we have a connection
1: there but I would love and also you know obviously my son my oldest son spent his LDS mission in Mozambique which is oh, you cool. know southern yeah. eastern southern <laughs> southeastern <laughs> Africa um again just the African continent I think Somebody told me like when you're there, like it just kind of becomes part of your soul. So I think yeah. it's just kind of a beautiful place and maybe Absolutely. you you feel the same. But tell me a little bit about your experience there with Ebola. That's, that's fascinating, I think.
2: Gosh, so I did a fellowship with the CDC. That's how I came to Utah. I was placed here. But within four weeks of me arriving in Utah, I was shipped off to Sierra Leone. So wow. um, as a CDC fellow, um, in this weird way, if you get to be part of an Ebola response, you've like hit the jackpot. Oh, really? <laughs> See, like, that would scare me to death. I know, but it's like the <laughs> quintessential epidemiologist outbreak. And you're like, sign me up. I mean, I was calling almost every day trying to get deployed. Wow. Much to my husband's chagrin. I had a two-year-old at the time. Um, But wow. so finally got to go and um, really was filled with a lot of excitement. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, there's tons of unknown. Um, But got to spend around six weeks there in a small town called Tunkalili in the center of Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Really small village, was the first CDC person there. So I wow. had to really set up everything from you know figuring out how to identify where Ebola um, patients were and do the contact tracing and how to get them treatment and quarantined and all that. Um, but it um, it was definitely, you think you're going to do epidemiology and public health. But when I got there, what I was really doing was trying to figure out how to get steady electricity and internet in our office, Um, how to make sure that the people that were on quarantine had food because they couldn't go out, right? So how do we make sure we get them food? Um, How to get to the villages where there were Ebola patients. Um, There were roads that you couldn't cross by car. Um, So, you know, making sure that we had enough motorbikes for all of our contact tracers and cell phones. So it was a lot. It was logistics heavy um, versus what you would think you would do of kind of more of the science. Um, But...
1: That's, yeah, I can imagine yeah. because it's so. Again, just I I haven't been there, but you know the stories my my grandparents told and tell me I I love this. You you told a story in a in a in a Trib article that was written about the a little boy. Oh gosh, tell tell yeah. us about that.
2: So that goes with the emotion of it. So of course you're in Sierra Leone in the mid, middle of an Ebola outbreak. Um, you don't know who has Ebola, yeah. so. What's different about Ebola from COVID, just to make sure all the listeners realize, is that Ebola is spread by bodily fluids. Um, right. So you have to be um, in contact with someone's, you know, vomit or um, spit or saliva or, or sweat. It's spread mm-hmm. through sweat as well. Okay. So, But you have to have that touch. Um, so... We got very, so it's like family members
1: usually, yeah, or you know, exactly. people in the household. It's Absolutely. not like out usually, right? Okay. it's not
2: just like on a bus, right? It's not spread through the right. air. Um, it's it's really people who you are actually physically touching. Um, so we got into the habit of never touching anyone, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of elbow taps. Uh, so had that before <laughs> COVID, um, but but really just not touching anybody, and so we're hiking to do some contact tracing because you can't go by car. And we're used to wearing long sleeves and um, pants so that, you know, you wouldn't come into contact with anyone. But it was so, I mean, it was so hot. So I rolled up oh, my pants as I'm walking through the marsh. And, um, you know, of course, my white skin was glaring in the sun. <laughs> and this, this like eight-year-old African boy came over and he touched my skin because he had never seen white skin before. <laughs> and I hadn't been touched in probably four weeks. And this feeling of dread just kind of encompassed my entire body because my first thought was, Oh my God, do I now have Ebola? But my second thought was I can't freak out because this is a poor little boy who was just curious. So you're just kind of like frozen in this stunned state. um, And then immediately just got like my hand sanitizer and started like (laughs) washing, like, Oh no big deal. Just washing my leg. (laughs) Um, But of course, of course I didn't get Ebola from that. Yeah. Um, but it does remind you of this kind of almost irrational fear that you can have in these moments of incredible stress yeah. um, and similar probably to what people have felt with COVID as well. Yeah. Um, but I never have I ever felt that the human touch would feel so dangerous. Um, and that wow. really made me sad that we were living in a time in, and this whole country was living in a time where you had to be scared if someone touched you.
1: Yeah. And they I know the African folks that my grandparents um were around. It was they there's a lot of things like that that they have to learn and and they're they're not prepared Of course we're not prepared for yeah. a lot of this stuff, but but there's some cultural things that were probably really tough as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um the biggest cultural um thing that we had to overcome was the whole burial process. So mm. um The Sierra Leonean tradition is to be very hands-on during the burial process. So when an individual passes away, one of your loved ones, you dress them in their favorite clothes, you wash them, you cook their favorite meal. And that's when somebody's most likely a spread Ebola is actually after they've died. Um, So their entire grieving process had to be transformed in order to save the lives of others. Um, And that was a huge, huge challenge um, trying to overcome that. But we did, which... Is crazy that it seems harder to overcome, you know, the mass controversy here <laughs> when we yes. were able to overcome the a burial complete, controversy yeah. in in Ebola times. Yeah, um, and we
1: weren't without burial controversy here as far as just well, that's true. You know, traditions of 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 a funeral. You're so and, right. And I, I mean, I went to a few funerals during the time that were. Yep. I, one in particular, I was. Compl- we were just outside for the entire funeral, which was yep. which was really interesting. And then I've been to a few since well done a few viewings and i actually kind of panic (laughs) going through and i feel terrible but you know you're like hard we feel like we need to be there but at the same i mean spencer and i both we've had we've had a few people pass away in our town and like really feel like we need to be there but again it was like there's a lot of anxiety around it and and those families at first especially early on Mm -hmm. where if someone passed away like literally they weren't really even having
2: funerals right and and that was tough stuff. It's really tough, because how do you have closure? How do you yeah. grieve? We don't know how to do that without our traditions. Yeah. So um, yeah. really challenging times. But um, overall, um, I came away with a love for Sierra Leone and the people. It is such a beautiful country and such beautiful people. Um, I would go back there in a heartbeat. Um, the beaches there are just incredible. <laughs> well, I need to get there. I do. I, re- I You talk about
1: the touching the skin and and they were I remember my grandpa telling me the story of like the little kids would come up and just try to rub his arm (laughs) because they were sure the black skin was underneath (laughs) trying to rub off that white. Yep.
2: (laughs) We all could use, you know, uh, exposure to different people in our lives. It makes us it makes us more aware of of where people come from. So
1: exactly. And I think, you know, for my grandparents, too, it was it was a moment, you know, they I I always say racism and, and it's never okay. But I think there's a sliding scale of oh you know of older people and i think there was there was so much racism oh yeah and there still is obviously we we saw that play out this year as well but mm-hmm. um i i think it helped them overcome i'm sure a lot of their own racism yeah. and and being able to serve with these beautiful people so Absolutely. um so when we come back we'll do a little rapid fire uh we'll be right back We are back with Angela Dunn and uh, Dr. Angela Dunn. (laughs) We were talking about titles earlier and I'm like, I'm always like, okay, I need to be careful because anyway, Dr. Angela Dunn, because you've deserved, you deserve the respect. And um, speaking of that, I, I end up speaking to a lot of young women. I end up talking and being around young women. And I think it's really important. Obviously, you need to see it to be it kind of attitude. But so what advice would you give a young woman? I know my daughter, Who she's she said to me before, like, you know, oh, I want to – she's talked about – she loves children. I'm like, you do pediatrics. She's pretty good at math. So I'm like, let's – anyway, so, of course, me saying that is not the same as her seeing someone <laughs> <laughs> in the field that's doing it very successfully. So what what advice would you give um, young women that you that – you, and you probably talked to them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I never thought of myself as this, like, woman-female role model, um, <laughs> but I definitely recognize it now. i um, gotten a lot of feedback of from young women, like, seeing a female up there means a lot. And Isn't it wild that that's so wild how powerful me. that is? And it's, it's humbling and saddening at the same time, right. but happy to serve that role. Um, and, you know, whenever I talk to young women, you know, it's just about dreaming big. Because they will achieve their dreams, whatever they are. So it's worth it to dream big because, honestly, the world needs their perspective at the table. Yeah. Um, they deserve to be there. And it starts with feeling that internally. Um, and it's our job as society to empower them to feel that. Um, but but they really need to just dream big um, because they will achieve their dreams. And, and that's that. what we need.
1: Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. Um so let me ask you this. What do you think people get wrong about you? I before you answer, I have sure. to say like people see you, you know, it's hard to know how people perceive you, but like cuz again, we just met recently. Okay. And I've seen you all year long and I as as most people have, and my husband's been working with you very closely sure. all this year. And I see this this just incredibly um on the ball like really intelligent, just like seems super type A, like you got your crap together kind of person. So like, that's what you put off, which is awesome. And again, something that I think people need to see.
2: But like, what do you think people get wrong about you? No, you nailed it. That's like 100% right. No. Um, So I think um, one of the biggest things that I think has been frustrating for me is people think that I'm, blinded by the science that i'm so mm. like well the cdc says this or we have to go with the science and it's like very hardlined when i'm actually super flexible and collaborative um and love to see all sides of a story so mm. um i have a background in economics i'm interested in population health which by the way isn't just traditional health it's education it's your job yeah. um it's your housing and that's actually my passion is um, incorporating health into those bigger pictures. And so it's frustrating for me to see myself kind of labeled as this one-dimensional character when um, my skill set and my passion is actually having that bigger picture in mind of how do we influence all society to to lift all boats. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the more serious thing. Uh, I think the other is just... Um, Uh, My house is a mess. Some days I don't shower after I exercise. I have been known to actually sleep in my workout clothes because it encourages me to just get up and do something. Um, But every day I definitely brush my teeth. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is... um, I love can't this. can't win all battles. <laughs> so again, we're giving
1: ourselves some grace, yes, right? Yes. I think
2: I think that's like, seriously,
1: that's my new mantra. We're just like <laughs> we're giving ourselves some grace because I think as as women, especially, but I'm sure a lot of men have this, too, is there's we have sometimes some really high expectations oh, for God. ourselves. And, and the funny thing is we all have these moments where like, you know what? my house is a disaster and yes, whatever. And like, I'm not going to, I don't know. I've never really been the kind of person that was like really too worried about it. So I, I don't know yeah. why my mom was like super, super organized. Like because 10 kids. Maybe
2: that's why you're rebellious. I think It
1: is like, and my sisters and I talk about this. Cause we like do this thing where we like, I was kind of into lists cause my mom's really list, And it's almost like we do this thing with each with ourselves. It's like, I
2: make a list, and I'm like, "Don't don't you tell me what to do, list? I'm not going to do that." <laughs> it's like, <That's> hilarious. <laughs> um, I will say the other thing is, I actually have a lot of anxiety as well. Um, that is really hard for me to manage sometimes because um, it leads to a lot of self doubt. Mm, um, it's yeah. really interesting how that kind of stuff manifests. And especially, I was talking to one of my friends who's also a physician, and um, you lean, you learned, or I've learned to operate at such a high level with it that you think it's just normal. Until uh, someone's like, "You don't have to go to bed every night, like I would really like react my whole day and where I screwed up, um, okay, and that sucks, um yeah. and especially in these high stress environments, so you know what I get that my job during the day is to be confident and yeah. and I am, and I definitely am, but that doesn't mean I don't have my own self-doubt after um." Yeah, but I think a little self doubt is good. You don't want to be overconfident. There you, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you go, a little balance. But yeah. I, but that's thank you for sharing that because I think that people need to to feel like that's normal. I think yeah. sometimes we again we I think we have too high of expectations of ourselves, and we always see people. I think as women, we always see people as like their best yes. self, but. We don't see our, ourselves as our best self, right. all the time, and so I think that's that's really important. So um, I just have so I have these notes, and Kirsten, you've worked a lot with Kirsten, probably, <laughs> and she 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 made she put this note in in my notes, and she said that um she this is this was her take that Angela comes across very serious on camera, but her personality is honestly really fun out there, and. And she's and really fun and out there. <laughs> and she says, on lots of late nights, especially at the beginning of COVID, we'd get through the difficulty of everything by just being kind of funny and irreverent. So yes.
2: <laughs> I
1: love the irreverent. You know how I <laughs>
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, you got to find humor and everything, right? If you're not having fun, then you got to try to fix that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's funny because Spencer
1: and I, you probably don't do this so much on social media, but Spencer is always... Like every once in a while, he he just lets loose on jazz stuff or just says something ridiculous. Like he did a, a tweet the other day about you know Prince William being the sexiest bald man alive, and and like he just said like BS or something on it. But like
2: that's hilarious. But like
1: it's so funny, and most people like get it and realize that that's a good way to sort of decompress. But some people are like, why aren't you?
2: Curing? Oh my god, I know, <laughs> you know? and you're right? just like. You know, we cannot take ourselves this seriously. Oh,
1: my gosh. You'd lose your mind if you were that serious all the time. You have to have some levity or or you'll make yourself crazy. But anyway. okay. so this is a question I love to ask because it's just kind of fun. Um, A snapshot of an ordinary moment that gives you true joy.
2: Oh, God, I can just go back to this morning. My favorite thing is when my kids come into bed with me in the morning and they're cuddling with me. I literally live for that moment. I won't get out of bed. I'll be awake, but I won't get out of bed if they're sleeping in until they come get me. Um, oh, and that. this morning, I it was my four-year-old who we cuddled a little too long, so I was running late, but it was so <laughs> worth it. Um, those moments, I don't know what it is about just being in bed with your kids and your husband and just huddling in the morning. It is oh, so awesome. I love that so much. So tell me, you have a eight? I have a eight-year-old who's going to be nine in a couple of weeks and a four-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, okay. And both boys? Both
1: boys. Oh, uh, and I always tell people, like, you can't get the full boy effect unless you have at least two together. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go.
2: My husband comes from a family of all boys, and I have... All boy nephews, except for we first just got our first niece, so we've got one girl in the family who will of course be spoiled like crazy. One baby girl,
1: yeah. So we had the three boys and then our baby girl, and of course she's really spoiled. But the boys are and probably totally different personalities. Are your boys like
2: they come out so different? (laughs) Right. My first one is creative and musically inclined, and the second one at four is like already tackling people and shooting (laughs) a bow and arrow. Like I don't know. What I did differently between the two of them, but they are completely different I I
1: think you get at least I'm at the point where I've realized I really didn't have much to do with it
2: <laughs> there's some freedom in knowing that you're like well, I really so whatever. I'm a really
1: good friend uh, and he was telling us um and if you listen to the to the Cox and Friends podcast, you'll know SRH but I remember Spencer telling us when his mom passed away this her philosophy of being like, it it was just it was so liberating to me, but she, it was basically like, I'm not good. My job is to just kind of make sure you're taken care of, you know, physically, emotionally, but I'm not going to take a lot of credit for any achievements, but I'm also not going to take a lot of blame for yes. what you don't yes. do or any, you know, shortcomings. <laughs> and I'm like... After all, I wish I had known that when my kids were little. I wish that philosophy had kind of been ingrained in me. I think a lot of anxiety and Mm -hmm. stress would have been alleviated because I just feel like just let them bloom and I'm a little bit of a control freak. (laughs) And don't you? Do you feel yeah, like you're trying absolutely.
2: to? I'm trying to because yours, yours are still little, so you can still like. I love it. I know. Just let it go. Let, let some of this go. And it's funny. I am really Type A in my own personal life. When it comes to parenting, it's all my husband Type A. Oh, really? I am very more like. Oh, it's fine. Like, let them be who they're gonna be. Like. They can make their choices, and he likes to shape them a little more hands-on, um, yeah, so it's interesting.
1: That is fascinating because Spencer and I are probably the opposite that way. That's oh, pr- th- that's more him. He's type A, you know, really get things done kind of thing. But I've been, like, I'm the disciplinarian. I'm the one that's, like, trying to control yep. everything. <laughs> Just let it go. I <laughs> do. I do have this moment where I, Gavin, my oldest, again because he's the oldest. I'm just like, oh, you're you you're type A. You're this <laughs> red personality, right? Like <laughs> this is what you should be. And ding! If that kid wasn't just as yellow as could be, really? Oh, <laughs> surprising! Totally yellow. Just like, <laughs> and I remember he went to middle school and took the little personality test, the little color test. And he comes home. He's like, Mom, I took this color test and I said well let me let me guess you're red and he's like no yellow and I was like oh my gosh I have been trying to fit this square peg in a round hole for all these years and I just thought
2: I have a color story for you so I took it as an adult and I'm a mix between yellow and green Mm. and My father, who's an engineer, was an oil executive. Of course, is red, and he was disappointed that I wasn't red. (laughs) He was like, "Are you sure you're not red?" I'm like, "You have to be red. Yeah, exactly. You're the oldest." (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) And I still
1: catch myself with my oldest being like. Why isn't he? I don't know. Why isn't he? You know, and I'm like, we're we're and we're you know, and this is. I will give you this fair warning because nobody gave it to me. Is like adult parenting, and you're still far away from that. But like adult parenting is a whole new beast that Great. nobody prepares you for. Great. And I was like,
2: oh, so it doesn't get easier. Just well, gets it's different. just
1: really weird, and you're in this weird spot of like, how much, oh, how man. little do I do it? You know, they you know. How much do I pay for? How much do I let you yeah, know, how so much hard. do I make him pay for? Like how it's a really weird balance. And they want to be really independent, but they also want you <laughs> to still be
0: supporting. <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> so it's it's a crazy balance, but um parenthood is always an adventure. Um uh I just want to say thank you. This has been absolutely delightful. Um and I hope I know that our listeners are gonna thoroughly enjoy this. So um. Be sure and and download the podcast and uh, enjoy this. Though, like we have. Uh, thank you, Doctor Dunn. We thank so you. appreciate. It. And I have to say, we from the entire state of Utah, thank you for all that you have done and will continue to do for the state. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again to Dr. Angela Dunn for joining me. You can find her on Twitter at Dr. Angela C. Dunn. And for all the latest info on COVID-19, go to coronavirus.utah.gov. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Until next time, thank you for being a friend.